Go ahead and turn to the book of John, chapter 20. There's more Bibles coming around. Keep those hands up. So before we get into the text today, I just want to talk a little bit about something that uh, kind of has to do with what we're going to talk about today. So recently, for you guys that are visiting today, first, welcome. I'm glad you joined us, but I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. And recently, my wife and I went on a, a mission trip slash uh, vacation where we got to visit some missionary friends of ours uh, serving over in the small European country of Slovenia. It's kind of over there by Italy and in Austria. One of the things that I thought was really cool is, uh, I've been telling people this, like you drive two hours and that only gets you to Portland here. You drive two hours from there and you're in a whole nother country with a whole nother language, whichever direction you go in. It's pretty cool, surreal. But anyways, we went there for some time and then we stopped in the UK on the way home to visit my wife's family and just kind of have some downtime as a husband and wife. And um, one of the things when you go to Europe, how many of you guys have been to Europe before? Okay, so like when we say old, like in the United States, we're talking about like a couple hundred years tops, right? When you go there, it's like thousands of years old. I mean, like it's old, old. It doesn't look anything like here. The, the structures are amazing. And one of the things that's, uh, that's pretty impressive is there's a bunch of giant, churches and cathedrals. And, and I mean, they, these, these are, things are so massive and so detailed, so uh, amazingly, like, like the architecture, everything about them, that some of them took like hundreds of years to build. I mean, like literally like 500 plus years to build one building because of just the nature of how intricate the details are in, it and, in the engineering and stuff. It's pretty amazing to see. So we went and visited a lot of those cathedrals and one of the things I noticed this time around in going was that um, these, the, these were located in all the cathedrals. And, and looking at it in closer inspection, basically what it was was some Christian ministry that basically provided uh, cards there for people to pray. You would think that like a church, people going there would know how to pray, but most of these are tourist attractions now. So there's several thousands of people going to them each day in some of these where they, they don't know God. They, they don't know who God is. They don't know how to pray. We all have this natural tendency when we need help to look up because we were made to know God. So the, this ministry provides these prayer cards to help people pray. On the back, they have like a, a little prayer and, and there's a topic on the front as to, um, you know, basically like maybe something specific that you're looking for and then it helps you pray. So all that to say is what I noticed was interesting is that... Um, the same two cards always had the shortest amount of cards left. Or in essence, basically, you could tell what people were praying the most about. And it might be kind of hard to see, but it was basically those top two right ones. People were praying about wanting guidance and finding peace, which shows overall in the world today, those are the, the kind of the two hot, hot topics, the two things people are searching for. They're looking for guidance and they're looking for peace. And, and those things kind of go hand in hand together because often it's our lack of guidance or our lack of direction that leads to a lack of peace in your life. It leads to anxiousness and worry and fear. And I couldn't help but think like these people that were coming to these churches, whether they knew it or not, maybe they were just coming as tourists, they were coming to the right place to find these things, these churches that were originally built to worship God because God has given us one direction to head in for guidance in our lives that will also lead 
to peace. And basically, that's towards him. And the only way to do that is through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And we're gonna see a great example in the text we're in today, in John 20, of people experiencing this practically in their lives. So again, we're gonna be in the book of John. If you guys are new to church, you don't really know your Bibles, there's what are called the Gospels. There are four books within the Bible, or four, you could call them a chapter, but they call them books. And there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what those are, are uh, gospel, or they're, they're accounts of Jesus' life written by different people that followed him from their perspective, all right? And the word gospel literally means good news, because that is what the life of Jesus is to anyone that is willing to listen and believe it. It's the best news you could ever hear. And at this point in the book of John, something big just happened, if you will, the culmination of Jesus's life that he was telling everyone about they didn't fully understand and that he has died on the cross, completing the work that he was sent to accomplish by God the Father in paying the just price required for our sins. In his body has been taken by some of his followers, prepared for burial, and put in a sealed tomb. And that is where we're gonna pick it up in John chapter 20. So let me just pray one more time, and then we'll go through this section. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just wanna ask for a blessing on your word as it goes out, Lord. Your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's hearing and reading and listening to your word that, helps us understand who you are and of your will for us, and that produces belief in our lives because we're exposed to the truth and the truth sets us free of the deceptions of the enemy in this world. So Lord, as your word goes out, we ask that it would do just that. It would produce belief. It would give us understanding. It would reveal truth to us where we've been deceived. And ultimately, that it would lead to us knowing you to an even greater degree and maybe even for the first time for some of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse one, uh, uh, John chapter 20, it says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So we see in John chapter 19, this same Mary be with Jesus all the way up to the cross, even until the point of his death. She is not willing to leave him. And here we see her again. She's eager to be with him. So eager, even before the light comes up in the morning, she is on the way to go see him, all right? Uh, Mark 16 telling us she had brought some more spices to basically anoint his body with, uh, something they do with, with people that were buried. And up until this point, the tomb had been guarded by Roman soldiers to prevent anybody from taking the body, according to Matthew 27. But nonetheless, here she comes, and she finds that the tomb's open, and it's empty. And this is the same Mary whom Jesus had already done so much for in her life. He had dramatically, he had cast out seven demons out of her. And in recognizing everything that he had done for her, it drove her to want to be with him. Basically, she recognized that in the chaos of life, Jesus is what brought her peace. And from that point on, she just had one direction she wanted to go in, and that was towards Jesus. Whether he was alive or dead, she just wanted to be with Jesus. And that same thing goes for us. When we think 
and understand everything that Jesus has done for us in our lives, how drastically he's changed them for the better. If we look at where we were before he came into our life and where we are now and how he's brought peace to us similar to her from all the chaos we face in our lives daily in this world, it only makes us want to know him and be with him to an even greater degree so we can continue to, so he can continue to do the work he wants to do in our lives and change us for the better. It's not religion that we seek to be with God and his people. It's because we see that he is what we need more than anything else, and it drives us towards him. Our lives very quickly go to having one focus and one direction like Mary, and that is to be wherever Jesus is. And here's the thing. We unnecessarily often complicate our lives by trying to go in many different directions, okay? When God's made it really simple. We often do that when we're facing adversity like she is right here and thinking that he's dead and being distraught. Something bad happens, uh, something happens where we figure, like think we need to come up with a solution and we try this, we try that. We just go in all these different directions and we complicate our lives. And often that's to no avail. We don't find what we're looking for. We, we maybe find something we think's an answer and it ends up not being the answer. We find something we think's gonna make us happy and then that happiness doesn't last. And so what that often leads to instead of finding peace in our lives, is that it brings even more chaos to them. And we get anxious and we get worried and we get stressed, the opposite of peace. And that isn't God's intent for us. His guidance to us in his word says that there's only one direction, one thing we need to focus on and he'll take care of everything else for you because he knows even better than you what's good for you in your life, all right? And he's the only one that can say that because he's the only one that knows all things. And what the Bible tells us is even the things we think are good for us, our heart deceives us. And there's a very real enemy, Satan, in this world that plays off that deception to try to do the things that you think are good for you that are actually harmful for you. So we need God's direction. And he says, that's all you need. He says in Matthew 6, or Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 31 through 34, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. He goes through lists of like everyday things, just everyday things that what will you eat? What will you drink? What will you wear? These things that consume our thoughts, we worry, and he says, that's not for people that know God. That's not for people that have placed their faith in Jesus. That's for the unbelieving world. But for you, I'm gonna make it really simple. Just seek me in my will for you. That's what he means when he says God's kingdom. He says, seek the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is where God is found, and then seek to live righteously. Living righteously is to do what God's word says or to seek his will for you, which Romans 12, 2 says is always gonna be good pleasing and perfect. So Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, that we are to be focused or have one direction at seeking God and his will for our lives. And he says, I know everything you need. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of the rest. You just do that and I'll take care of the rest. And would you agree that simplifies your life a whole lot, right? I'm really good at complicating it and making it more than that, but God simplifies it. Now, some here today, you, you might be wondering, well, how do I seek God? How do I seek his will for me? And I'm glad you asked that because he made that really simple too. 
He said, there's only one thing you need to do. You need to believe in his son. His son is the only way to know God and his will for you. Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the father that is God the father except through me. So Jesus is the way or the one direction we need to go in. And through him, we will or are able to receive the guidance we need or the truth, which is found in God's word, which will lead to us experiencing the life God intends for us or his will for our lives that will lead to the peace that we're looking for. And when you do seek Jesus, as we see Mary doing here, he will meet you, guaranteed. If you're truly seeking God, for who he is, not who you want him to be. That's called an idol, and we can all do that. Try to make God who we want to be, but God made us. You don't get to tell him who he is. He tells you who he is, and trust me, it's for our best interest in mind. But when you seek him, the promise he makes in his word is that you will find him, and that's what we're gonna see right here because Mary's the first one to seek him. She's the first one that gets to see him resurrected, which again will bring peace to her life instead of the despair she's feeling right now and and thinking he's dead. So it says in verse two, so she ran and went to Simon, Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, this being John, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So according to the other gospel accounts, Mary isn't alone in going to Jesus's tomb. That's why the plural word we there is used in verse two. But since she's the only one that appears to go and tell the disciples what she's found, that he's gone, John only mentions her in his account here. And her first reaction is to think that somebody must have stolen him in telling Peter and John that his body wasn't in the tomb anymore. Now understand here, Jesus had told them back in Mark 9, it tells us that he was gonna die and be raised from the dead, but nobody fully understood what he meant by that yet. So she didn't obviously understand that yet. So it says in verse three, so Peter went out with the other disciple And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. I like how John includes that that little point right there. (laughs) He's like, we both ran. I was actually faster in getting there. (laughs) But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter followed him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple whom had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their home. So in response to Mary's report, John and Peter, they're like, we got to go see for ourselves. We're going to go to where Jesus is. Again, they're facing a dilemma and maybe his body being gone. And their first, their first reaction is to go in the same direction. We're going to go where he's supposed to be. We're going to go to Jesus, all right? So they both rush there. And John gets there first. He looks in the tomb. He sees the linen cloths. Jesus was wrapped in, just left laying there. But for some reason, he doesn't feel the, no, the need to go in. But not Peter. Peter's always the one that's all emotional. He just goes head first in there, wants to see firsthand, rushes into the tomb, which led him to noticing that the way the burial cloths were laying was abnormal. Because you see how they prepare bodies for burial back then would, would be a lot like the Egyptians did with mummies. Like they basically take these linen cloths 
and they'd smear them in linen strips with like, like they'd smear them with like aloes and ointments and spices and they'd wrap it around the body and basically it would kind of like plaster of Paris, it would harden into like a crust or like a shell. So mind you, it would not be an easy thing to take that off a body. It would involve tearing and breaking and cutting and there'd be a whole big mess behind. And so the idea in verse seven is that's not what it looked like. It looked like the clothes were just neatly lying there as if his body had just evaporated. And after Peter, John proceeds to go in the tomb. He sees what Peter saw. And what verse eight tells us is, and this is unique to John, is that he believes he must be alive. He must have risen from the dead. All the other disciples, they had to see him resurrected first before they believed. So John's unique in that way. Yet according to verse nine, they too did not fully understand like, what, what is this? What does this mean regarding our salvation? They didn't understand what Jesus had told them up to this point before he died. They didn't understand that the Old Testament, the Bible they had back then was full of prophecies that were written thousands of years before this happened that spoke of this very, these very events, proving that Jesus was in fact the coming Messiah, the Christ, the savior of the world that, that the Jews were waiting for. And it goes on in verse 11, it says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. So even though seeing the empty tomb and the burial clothes was enough for John to believe that Jesus must be alive, it would appear this wasn't the case for Mary yet as she's distraught still over Jesus not being here and wanting to see for herself what was in the tomb. She looks in and she sees something different. She sees these two angels there, but doesn't recognize who they are. It says in verse 13, it said, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. So the angels ask Mary, why is she crying? And again, judging by her response, because when you see other parts in the Bible, when angels appear to people, like their first reaction is to fall and worship them. The angels have to say, don't, don't worship me, only worship God. But they're, they're, off, they're obviously pretty miraculous in their appearance. So Mary, she must not recognize that they're angels. And you might wonder why. Well, I think that it's telling that she says there in verse 13, she refers to Jesus as my Lord. Because again, her life revolved around Jesus. And in her mind, she just had him taken away from her. So she's probably so overwhelmed by his death and his body being gone. She's just, in a sense, blinded to everything else going on around her because she's so emotionally distraught. And here's the thing. This can also be something that we can experience in our own lives when our focus is in the right direction of Jesus in a positive way, because unlike Mary, we already know that he's alive and risen. What the Bible tells us in Colossians 3, one through two, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, in essence, that verse is telling us the same thing as Matthew 6, 33, because you've been raised to life, you've been given a new life and all the promises of God's word, you've been given a new inheritance through your faith in Jesus. Think about those things. Keep your focus on God. Keep your focus on God's will for your life. And here's what the Bible tells us will happen when you do that. You'll have peace. 
Because God has taken away every reason for you to be scared, every reason for you not to have peace by what he's told you you've inherited through your faith in Jesus Christ and as you've become his child. The Bible tells us that when we keep our focus, when we keep our, our, our direction uh, our fixed on, G, on the Lord, it says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Did you know that what you fix your focus on will directly affect your perception on any given situation? Look at this case with Mary. Mary here missed out on the peace offered to her by God in this situation because she wasn't focused on Jesus. She was focused on the death of Jesus. She was focused on the adversity that she didn't understand rather than focusing on Jesus himself, which resulted in her not seeing these angels for who they were. It resulted in her not seeing the burial clothes for what they represented. It resulted in her not just simply understanding if he's not here, he must be alive. Now, had her focus been on Jesus or on the right perception, the right fixed in the right place, maybe she would have remembered, oh, this is what he meant when he said I was gonna die and be raised from the dead three days later. Maybe she would have understood this is what the scriptures were talking about with the Messiah would happen to him. She would have had a different perception of this situation. Has anyone experienced that in their lives before? Let me give you an example with me. So my first born child, Samuel, he's one of our sound booth guys. He's in the back. Samuel, you want to wave to everyone? No, he's, he's, good. he's shy teenager. But all that to say is, um, so my wife and I, we really wanted to have kids like most of us do. And um, at least some of us do. And then they become teenagers. But um, no, he's their joy. Um, but we were praying for many years to have kids and we waited till I got done with college and, um, you know, like we tried to have kids and it took us a while to, to have kids and, and it was kind of a hard time. But when we finally had that first one, it was like such an answer to prayer and it was so great and everything went fine with the pregnancy until he was born and then he had some complications. And because of those complications, they did a bunch of tests and one of the tests they found bleeding in his brain. And the doctor comes in and tells us, yeah, this isn't good. He's going to be mentally handicapped. He's going to be physically disabled. Like, it wasn't a might. It was like, this is what's going to happen with him. And then when my focus was on that adversity, the world felt like it was ending. I was scared. I was fearful. And I remember, because I'm, I'm trying to be the strong one, is my wife's feeling these same things too. And I just, I like had to bow out of the situation and go in the bathroom and lock the door. And I fell on my knees. And I cried out to God because I didn't even know what to say. But here's the thing. When I did that, I took my focus off the adversity and I put it on my Savior. And God was able to remind me, I've given you every reason to not be scared right now, to trust me, that I'm gonna be with you through this and it's gonna be all right. No matter how it turns out, you have no reason to fear. And instantly, that fear turned to faith without even knowing what's gonna happen because see, God doesn't give us details. He gives us final outcomes. And the final outcome he gives in Romans 8, 28 is that he's gonna work all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't say all things are gonna be good. In this world, they're not good. 
but because God who is sovereign and in control and loves you and has demonstrated that by Jesus' death on the cross and has the power to do this, he will work all things for your good. That's the only outcome you need to know. You don't need to know the details. And so that, that fear turned to faith and I had peace because my focus went from the wrong thing to the right thing. Amen? It goes on in verse 14. It says, having said this, she turned around. She saw, saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So Mary turns around and Jesus is standing right there, but she doesn't recognize him at first. And we don't know for sure why. Again, maybe it's her focus. She's just so emotionally distraught. She's not even paying attention to who she's talking to. Maybe, you know, verse 13 says she's weeping. Maybe her eyes are so filled with tears, just ugly crying. You know how that feels that she can't even make out and see who it is she's talking to. In some of the other accounts, Mark 16, 12 is one of them. It would appear there's something different about Jesus when he's resurrected because the disciples don't always recognize who he is right away. But all that to say is, this can be often the case where we like Mary can wonder where Jesus is in our time of need when the reality is he's never far away. It tells us in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Here's the thing, just because we don't acknowledge the presence of God, like Mary right here, doesn't mean that he isn't there with you, okay? Again, it being where our focus is directed that often will determine whether we recognize his presence in our lives because it's hard to see things that you're not looking for. But having said that, he's really good at drawing our attention back to him so that we do see He's there when our focus is elsewhere. And that's what we're gonna see in the following verses. So in verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him, and I will take him away. So Jesus reaches out to her in her distress, asks her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Now understand, this isn't for his benefit. He knows the answers to this. He's trying to help her realize that this thing that she's so upset about, you don't need to be upset. I'm right here. I'm alive. I'm with you. Trying to get her to remember the things that he said. Trying to help her understand what God's word said about him. Recognize how, why everything was happening the way it, it did. But her focus is still wrong. She still just doesn't understand. She thinks he's a landscaper and she wants to know. Do you know where his body is? I'll go get it. Just tell me. Again, her just wanting to be with Jesus. And again, this makes me think of how sometimes when we're seeking or looking for the Lord, maybe for guidance or comfort, and we think we aren't hearing him or sensing his presence, it's not because he's not there. It's not because he's not talking to us. But like Mary, we're just not recognizing him in his voice as we're preoccupied by our wrong thoughts and the emotions that come from them so because our focus is in the wrong place and on the wrong things, we're just not hearing and seeing him. When the reality is, he's there all along, reaching out to us, maybe through his word that you're reading, maybe through another brother or sister in the Lord that are sharing something that he's putting on their heart to encourage you to let you know he's there. Maybe through the pastor speaking something in church, maybe through just hearing that, what the Bible refers to, that still small voice, that, that voice of God that's just in your head, or in your soul, recently with our youngest child, Ezekiel, we had some complications with him too. That was the first pregnancy where 
Um, my wife uh, had high blood pressure going towards the end of it, so they were watching for preeclampsia, and um, the, about a month before he was supposed to be born, they were doing those regular checks to make sure she was all right, and the first one we go in there, her blood pressure skyrocketing, and they're like, we can't let you go home. Like, you could have a, a, a stroke at any moment, so we're gonna put you in here, put you on, was it magnesium or... That, like medical, you gotta stay here. We're probably gonna have to induce the, the, the birth and he might be born early and he might not be able to breathe. So we might have to take him to Portland and you're gonna have to stay here and be separated from him. And, and so obviously this was just a huge shock all of a sudden when we just went in for a wellness check and I'm rushed home and I'm freaking out and I'm trying to grab clothes for my wife and stuff and I, I hop in the shower for some reason. This is where the Lord always speaks to me. I think it's just because it's quiet, you know? I have a house with four boys. It's never quiet and in there, it's just my, my prayer closet. <laughs> but I'm in there and I'm kind of freaking out and thinking about all the what ifs and this voice in my head says, remember, I told you to name him Ezekiel. Now, see, a couple months prior to this, when we were trying to decide on a name for him, and we weren't really married to anything, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I just had this sense. We're supposed to call him Ezekiel. And I woke up, and I told my wife, and I'm like, yeah. And she, she, I don't think she really liked it at first. And I'm like, I don't know why. I just felt like we're supposed to call him that. And I looked up what that name meant, and it means God strengthens and as I'm sitting in the shower months later, having completely forgotten about that, not really planning to call him that, he brought it back to my attention and said, remember I told you to call him this? God strengthens. And again, it was God's way of getting my focus off the wrong thing, getting it on the right thing on him, and him just comforting me in that, I told you I was gonna strengthen him, you can trust me. And the rest of the week, while we were kind of in the hospital, waiting for every, the baby to come and all of a sudden having to have a C-section, everything that went on, as crazy as it was, having to stay in the hospital for a week after as my wife's blood pressure wouldn't come down, I just had peace because I was reminded of God and his word. And that's what we're gonna see him do right here. We're gonna see him do the same thing for Mary, just remind her who he is, that he's there with her. It says in verse 16, Jerry, uh, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So again, like in my example with Ezekiel's name, he just speaks to her, uses her name, personally identifies with her, helps her, or it helps her understand, oh, it's Jesus, he's right here. In verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. So in her recognizing Jesus, she's excited. She grabs onto him, must have not wanted to let go because basically he gives her this gentle rebuke saying, Mary, 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 you gotta let go of me. My work isn't complete yet. I came to restore you first and foremost to God, which when he says your father and your God, that's what he's telling her. He's like, I, I've been successful. I died, I paid the price for your sins through your faith in me. You, you're saved, you're forgiven. You made right with God. But here's the thing. I'm gonna physically leave you now. I gotta go back to the Father and you're gonna have to have faith that even though you can't see me, I'm still with you all the time. Not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you. And Jesus goes on to tell her, you need to go tell the rest of the guys. You need to tell everyone else. You need to go tell them that I'm alive. So it says in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. 
and that he had said these things to her. So she shows faith, she believes him at his word, she goes, tells the others, and it says in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews or the religious leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So here are the disciples. They've been told that he's alive, yet they're not out looking for him. They're hiding, they're scared. They're, they know that the religious leaders would know that they were associated with Jesus, these same leaders that were responsible for crucifying him, and they're afraid for their lives, so they're hiding, all right? Maybe even having some unbelief still. Well, we haven't seen him alive. Maybe Mary's just full of it. And even though they weren't looking for him, here comes Jesus to meet them right where they're at, simply appearing to them out of nowhere, his new resurrected body apparently not being constrained by walls. And the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. In essence, what he's telling them is like, everything's all right, guys. You got no reason to be afraid anymore. And we see Jesus do what he does here so many times in his disciples' lives. His priority was to calm their storm, first and foremost, to let them know everything is okay and the same thing, it's the same thing he wants to do in our lives. Even if you're looking, you're not looking to him to do so because your focus is in the wrong place. You're looking somewhere else. He still wants to do it for you. Even if per se, you've locked the door of your heart trying to keep everyone out because of something that's happened to you, even trying to keep God out, he still wants to help you. He wants to come into your life. He's looking to do that. He wants to be the one there to calm the storm of your life, not always by taking them away, but being with you through them and seeing you through them so you're all right. Tells us in Romans 5, 1 through 2, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Through your faith in Jesus, I want you to know something. God is not mad at you. Sometimes we look at our lives, we think that I've done something really bad. I remember thinking this before I got saved. There's no way I could set foot in a church. I'd be set on fire. I've done so many bad things. It's funny how we act like we're, we're better than other people because we gauge ourselves on a curve. We look at them, think, well, I'm not bad as them. But we, all, we know in our head that we're not perfect, that we all have sin in our lives. And we think that God's gonna be mad at us. Or even maybe you're somebody here that you used to go to church, you don't go to church anymore. You think, oh, God will never accept me back. I've turned my back on him. Here's the thing. If it was based off of what you did, that would be true or what you did or you didn't do, but because it's based off of what Jesus has done for you, you can be absolutely sure that if you're willing to receive that gift of forgiveness through faith in him, you are forgiven of anything you've done wrong, everything you've done wrong. And because of that, like it says here, because of that just penalty our sin deserved was paid for in full and we're now forgiven, we're right before God and we're at peace with him. And so now, instead of standing in a place of wrath and judgment, because that's what your sin deserved. Our sin deserved to be judged. Just like there's a penalty when you break the law in this world, 
You go through the school zone too fast and you get a ticket, don't whine about it. That's what happens, right? You're willing to take that risk. Well, when we break the law of God or basically what he says is good and right, and he knows this because he made the world, he thought us up, then there's a penalty for that because God is just, he's perfectly just. He can't be in the presence of evil or sin and not deal with it justly. And what the Bible says, because sin ultimately leads to death, that's how death came into this world, the wages of sin is death. So that's where we stood before Jesus. We stood in this place of deserving God's wrath and judgment or death. But what it says here in Romans 5 is that because of Jesus, because he stood in that place for you, that's what the cross is. He took God's wrath. He took God's judgment upon himself because, as John 3.16 says, because of God's great love for you, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it. As it says here, undeserved privilege or grace. You didn't deserve God's favor, but he gave it to you anyways because he loved you. And that's where we stand now. We don't stand in a place of judgment. Through our faith in Jesus, we stand in a place of knowing 100% of the time, God is going to show his favor to you. He's gonna show grace to you. I don't deserve that. You don't. But because of Jesus, now you do. And that's a 100% thing you can be confident in. And so because of that, you're at peace with God and you can have peace in your life, peace being the opposite of fear, worry, anxiety, which comes from feeling, which comes from worrying that you're gonna be punished for the bad things you've done in your life. Ultimately, that's why we're fearful of things. We see something and we think something bad's gonna happen to me. And we know in our heads, I deserve that because I made this wrong choice. I did this bad thing. But here's what God, John says in 1 John 4, 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So the perfect love he's talking about there is the love God's demonstrated for you in sending his son to die for you and pay the price for your sins when you didn't deserve it. That's perfect love, okay? Now, because of that, because your sin deserved to be punished, but Jesus took that punishment on himself, guess what that means? That's right. Amen. No more punishment. All right. It doesn't exist for a follower of Jesus. And so therefore, when you're freaking out, when things are falling apart and the, the hard things that this world throws at us are coming at you, the reason to be fearful has been taken away because God has said, and he's the only one that can say this and mean it. You're not going to be punished. Jesus is there on your behalf saying, I took that punishment you deserved. So now you're gonna be shown grace. You're gonna be shown favor by God. Amen? Amen. That's great news. I like grace. Yes. <laughs> so even in the hardest of circumstances, we can know this. And this is what Jesus tells us because that leads to peace. You have been given every reason to have peace in your life. And Jesus says in John 16, 33, I have told you all this, Everything that his word says, so we don't have to wonder about these things, everything we need to know to live this life successfully for God the way he intended to know how much he loves us, to experience the peace is in here. And this is the only truth we can ever know 100% is sure. But Jesus tells us in John 16, I have told you all this 
so that you may have peace in me. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, I want you to notice something here, okay? There is peace. Sometimes we can get temporarily when we appear to do something that works out for us, but does that ever last forever? Because just around the corner is gonna be something that doesn't work out the way you want. And then that peace is fleeting. It's gone, right? So the peace God offers you is based on him and his promises that he's gonna ensure happens in your life. It's not a peace that basically is um, absent of adversity. It's a peace that you can have despite your adversity because the God that loves you so much has said, I'm gonna see you through anything this world throws at you and I'm gonna make sure you come out of it on the other end better than when you came in because you're gonna ultimately end up with me in heaven where there's gonna be no more adversity. Amen? You might not always see that in this life, but this life's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And that's where we're heading. One way or another, either through our faith in Jesus with God or through our sin separated from God. And we only get this life to make that choice. And it's a huge choice, the biggest choice we could ever make. It says in verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus here, he proves to his disciples that it's really him. He's not a ghost. It says in Luke 24, that he's like, go ahead and touch me. I'm real. Look at my wounds. Yep, I'm the guy that was crucified, but I'm alive and I'm here. And when they recognized it was him, when their direction goes back to him, guess what? It says they're glad or they're happy. They're at peace now, right? They were fearful a minute ago because their focus was on the wrong things, but now they understand that Jesus is in fact with them. Their focus is directed towards them and they're joyful and they're at peace. And this being yet another example of how our focus will affect our feelings. If we focus on adversity, we're gonna, it's gonna lead to fear, anxiousness, and worry. But instead, if we direct our focus to Jesus in the midst of that adversity, He's given us every reason just to be at peace and have joy despite any circumstances this world might throw at us. Doesn't mean you don't go through hard things. Doesn't mean you don't feel pain and suffering, but that peace runs concurrent with it because you know it's not gonna last forever. Amen? It's not gonna last forever. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today because there's some pains that will last you the rest of your life here, but the rest of your life isn't here. It's only a short drop in the bucket, and when you're in eternity, that pain's gone forever. Verse 21, and this is what Jesus says to them. He, says, he said to them again, peace be with you. So again, after calming their fears and getting their undivided attention, he says it for a second time. And I can't help but think he's trying to really drive it home to them. Guys, I just don't, I'm not saying just be at peace right now with what you're going through. I'm saying that because of what I've done at the cross, because I've died and I'm raised again and I'm alive right now, and everything that that has accomplished for you, I want you to stay in this place of peace. That was part of it. That's what I've done for you. You need to keep your focus, your direction on me, and then you can stay in peace right through this life until the next when you'll see me again and you'll never leave me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome stuff. So as the worship team comes up here, 
we're just gonna have a time to respond to that. And this is nothing weird. I mean, our, our God's alive and he's living and he's active, which means he wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be involved. He's constantly speaking to us through his word when we're in prayer and waiting upon him. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. Just like those prayer cards I showed at the very beginning, in some way or another, we're always looking for guidance. We're always looking for direction in our lives. There's always something worthy to be trying to to figure out which way to go, what thing to do. And as I said, we can look at tons of different things to answer those questions in this world. But those things at some point in time are always going to fail you and you're gonna end up more confused than you started. And I'm speaking from experience in this because I'm just like you, we're all the same. Nobody has everything figured out. I have way more things I don't know and I don't understand and that hasn't changed Since I've come to know the Lord, I still have all those hard decisions, those things to figure out in life, what's going on? But I've come to understand there's only one direction I need to go to to figure out the answers. And that's to Jesus. That's to God's word. And when I go there, I can have peace in waiting for him to lead me into the things he has for me which as I already said, are always gonna be good, pleasing, and perfect. He took my life that was a mess, that I complicated as heck, that I still can complicate it, and he's made it really easy. And when I get off track, he brings my focus right back to where it needs to be on him, just as he did here with Mary and with the disciples. So if you found yourself coming here today, and that's you, You feel like you're anxious. You feel like you're worried. You feel like you're not finding the answers you're looking for, the contentment you're looking for. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, I believe the Lord's just reminding you you've lost your direction. Wherever it might be, you need to simplify your life and go back to your first love. You need to just keep the direction on him. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek God and his righteousness or his will for you, his word, and he'll take care of everything else. He is your perfect father in heaven and just like I'm a father to my boys and I don't want them handling grown-up stuff because that's not their job. Their job's to be kids. Their job's to enjoy their youth while I do all those things. God looks at you the same way. He says, don't worry about anything else. Just follow me. I'll take care of everything else. I even know better than you, just like I know better for my boys, despite them thinking they know better than me. I know what's best for them. And the God of the universe who created all things is more than willing to be that, that father figure. Maybe like me, you're like me and that you'd never had one. But even if you have a great dad, he's even better. He's perfect. But he's willing to be that for you. He's willing to take that worry, that anxious, that fear you might be feeling and turn it into peace. But you gotta make that decision to believe in him, to, to repent, as the Bible says, to turn from going away from him, to turn from your sin, which from the cross as he was dying, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do, that you probably don't even know you're doing to some extent because you need God in your life 
to help show you the things that are good and bad and then give you the power to, to live those good things out. We all need that. But you repent, you turn from your sin, you just turn to, towards God. You believe and then God comes into your life and helps you see. He puts his spirit inside of you. So you have, as Jesus calls, a helper. There's no more going through life alone. God's with you through the rest of your life and his promise is he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you and he will see you right through this life into the next where you will be with him face to face and you will spend eternity in his presence. But you gotta make that decision for yourself. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna continue to praise God all around the room. We're gonna have people from our prayer team and they're available for you to come up and pray with. Because I know right now there's some in here that you sense the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, drawing you to God. It's like that feeling you have or that, that, that voice you're hearing, like what he's saying, it's like he's talking right to me. That's not me. That's God speaking to you because he brought you here today and it wasn't an accident. It wasn't just to check a box to show up at church on Easter. It was because you're missing out on everything he intends for you that you can't experience without him in your life. And he's made it very simple through his son, Jesus, to have him be the one direction, the one focus in your life so that you can experience everything that truly you need that can only come through him. And so if you respond today, you can do that just between you and God, but a big part of repentance is humility. And I find that when I go and pray with somebody else, that's the ultimate form of humility. I'm just admitting, man, that's me. Maybe you don't even know how to pray and they can help you pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Nobody's watching you. Every, I'm not gonna say nobody cares because the whole host of heaven rejoices when one person gets saved. So we're rejoicing with you but there's nothing to be ashamed of. We've all had to make that decision and it was the greatest decision of our lives. So right now you're gonna have the opportunity to do that, whether that's between you and God right where you're at or you come up and get prayer. If there's something else you need prayer for, maybe you're somebody that's a Christian and you're struggling with these things and you just realize, man, I've, I've let my life turn into a bunch of different directions and I need to just get back to going toward Jesus. Come up and pray and we'll pray with you. But this is an opportunity for you to meet with God and respond to what he's telling you to do. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, your word says that when we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us, and this is what we wanna do. We're here to meet with you. There's no other reason to come here other than to meet with you. So may we just respond, Lord, right now to however it is you want, whatever you're telling us to do, we just listen and obey because your word says, blessed are those who hear and obey the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.